every day we pass by them. Some of us miss them because we're not really looking, not expecting anything out of the ordinary. And some of us have been waiting so long, praying for so long, that we've begun to lose hope. But then there are these moments when everything comes into focus, when beyond all explanation, the laws of nature and logic cease to matter because a greater power is at work. A loving God who sees us and hears us stands ready to reveal his kindness and strength through miracles. Well, good morning, 930 service. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us here this morning. So glad that you uh, have taken a time to focus on God. And I want to talk, before we talk about this weekend, I want to talk about next weekend. So next weekend, my wife Laurel will be joining me. She has actually crafted the message. All I'm going to do is uh, provide some color commentary and I'm going to read some scripture. But my wife has been waiting for a miracle uh, for 27 years. And she liked to talk to all of us about how we posture our hearts while we're in that waiting season. And so I just want to encourage you to make sure that you are uh, online next weekend with us. I'm excited about being able to share that space with her. And I have already walked through parts of the message. I tell you, you will be challenged and you will be encouraged. I hope you'll come and join us. So here's what I know. And I know these things for sure because these are things that you are telling me about as you fill my email box each and every week. I know corporately we all need a haircut. I mean, seriously, God help us all. And I'm thinking about bringing back the mullet from the old days. That tells you how desperate I'm getting. I know that you have way too much toilet paper, and now you're trying to find creative ways to use your stockpile. Now, Jesus told you not to be a hoarder. You didn't listen, so now you've got to live with it. I know that you are thankful for, and at the same time, quietly resent Zoom meetings. And the reason you resent Zoom meetings is because when someone does, that used to be funny, but it's not funny anymore, all right? I know that your house was the cleanest it has ever been, but now you've been living in it for a few more weeks and it didn't stay perfect too long, and the truth is now you don't care anymore. I know that you wore sweats to the office at least once, and for the record, I don't want to know what you did or didn't wear from the waist down. I'm just saying, okay, all right? And I, I also know this. I know that you're currently getting three weeks to the gallon, and, and you're also ticked because gas is cheap, but there's nowhere to go. And I also know this. This one I have heard many times. I know that if you are homeschooling your own kids, you now officially love and revere teachers. You think every teacher should make $1 million. In fact, if you've been homeschooling, your idea of a good day is to start school at 9, graduate the entire class at 11, and name them all co-valedictorians so that they're all at the top of their class. You've also figured something else out because I've heard this from some of you. You figured out that your little Johnny is not nearly as innocent as you thought he was. In fact, you're now walking around your house muttering under your breath, Johnny needs Jesus. Johnny needs Jesus. All right, let's add one more thing that I absolutely know. Sometime in the past few weeks, whether it was you or your entire family, you had a moment. 
you had a meltdown moment and people were mad and crying and somebody got up and walked out and they were frustrated and you finally had to come back together again because you don't have any choice right now and you had to ask hard questions and ask for forgiveness and you had to collect yourself because just like my world and your world, everything's been turned upside down and it's gotten a whole lot smaller. So to every person or family unit that's had a little bit of a meltdown, can I say this? It's okay. And it's going to be okay. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you had a moment, you're not alone. The Bible is full of epic meltdowns. Elijah told God to kill him. Jonah jumped on a boat and went two and a half times in the opposite direction that God told him to. Noah got wasted. Moses lost his temper and beat up a rock. Joseph's brothers lost it with their little brother and sold him to some traveling salespeople. Okay, don't get any ideas about selling your brothers or your sisters right now, all right? Peter cussed up a storm in a fit of fear and exposure. So if you had a moment in the last couple of weeks, you're in good company. But this weekend, the weekend after Easter, here's what I want to do. I want to take a breath and listen in on another epic meltdown and learn how to do it right. Because if the moment's going to come, we might as well learn how to do it right, right? Right. Psalm 77 is a miraculous meltdown. Let me set the stage for you. Before the meltdown starts, we actually see an introduction. It says this, For the director of music, for Jeduthun of Asaph, a psalm. So all of the psalms are actually songs. And this is a meltdown song. Some of them are songs of praise. Some of them are songs of hope. This is a meltdown song. It's like a country western song. And we all know how country western songs go, right? They all say basically the same thing. My dog died, my truck won't start, my girl left and broke my heart. I mean, that's how it goes every single time. Well, this song is actually being sent between two musicians, two choir directors, to be accurate. Jeduthun. His name actually means praiser. And he was a choir director, a musician, and a trusted confidant of King David. He's the recipient of the song, and the author is a guy by the name of Asaph. According to scripture, he was King David's lead choir director. And he was also a prophet, so he spoke the words of God very seriously. Let me tell you why it's important that we know who's involved in this song. These musicians are going to have an honest moment with each other and with God. Here's a question. Do you have someone that you can have an honest moment with? Do you have someone that won't freak out when you're freaking out? Do you have someone who can talk you down and give you a godly perspective? There is a richness in that kind of communication, and that's what we're going to experience today. Asaph basically says to Jeduthun, look, I wrote a song for you. I wrote a song for you. I know you're struggling. I've been there. So I wrote a song for you. And Asaph pours out his heart to God. He sends it to his spiritual brother, Jeduthun. And God loves their honesty so much that he captured their song in a biblical songbook that's been around for thousands of years. This is what I love about the book of Psalms in the Bible. The songs are raw and honest and real and transparent. And they teach us that we have a permission to be exactly the same. Raw and honest and real and transparent. Psalm 77 starts with a permission. His permission to actually have a moment. Let me read it to you. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God. I groaned. I meditated. My spirit grew faint. 
You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. Did you notice all of the action words that are wrapped up in all of that honesty? I mean, Asaph just says it. I cried. I let my frustration out. Apparently, that's okay to do. He says, I sought the Lord. I didn't just put on a brave face and pretend that I could handle it on my own or that everything was okay. Instead, he says, I sought the Lord. I moved towards God. In my frustration, I worshiped him. Instead of pulling away, I pressed into God's presence. I surrendered control. He says, I stretched out my hands in need. And while he was doing that, I'm sure he remembered that God is my ever-present help in times of trouble. He says, I groaned. It's okay to lament the loss of normal. It's okay to grieve that you can't be as close to people as you'd like to be. He says, I meditated, not on the problem, but on God's promises. And he wraps it up by saying in this epic meltdown, I thought about the former days. I looked back on God's faithfulness. In fact, he talks about songs that he would sing at night. I don't know about you, but in the middle of the night, when I am troubled, I tend to sing old songs. How great thou art. Great is thy faithfulness. I've even been known to pull out Jesus loves me every once in a while. You know, in the middle of all of this distancing and fear, how many of us can honestly say, yep, that's exactly how I've been approaching the crisis? Honestly. How many of us are just stuck on groaning and crying, right? There's permission here to add to the skill set. That in the midst of the meltdown, to, to cry out, to grieve, to meditate, to worship. Permission to have a moment, but how do we not get stuck there? Well, look what comes next. Here we find the permission to ask hard questions and to speak freely. Just so you know, God can handle your toughest questions. Here's my question to you. Are you willing to stick around and hear the answers? Listen to these questions. Asaph says, my heart meditated, my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? I wonder how many of us have asked those kinds of questions just in the past couple of weeks. Maybe we didn't broadcast it or type it out on Facebook, but I wonder how many of us have asked, where's God in all this? Has God left us? Has his love gone? I love that there's permission to ask questions. And if I could be so bold in my study of scripture, I'd like to be able to answer on behalf of God. I know that's a gutsy move, but I believe if we ask the question, where are you God? I think God would respond. I've actually been here all along. Even when you ignored me, I've been here. My love has been here for you all along, even when you fell in love with stuff and things. Where is my mercy? <laughs> my mercy is in the fact that you're still breathing. And now look around. My compassion is being lived out through you and other people in ways you could never have imagined. The miracle of my presence has never left or wavered or shifted. And my love for you is why we're actually having this conversation right now. Oh, and by the way, it's really nice to hear from you. Permission to ask the hard questions, but also 
an opportunity to hear God's answers. What do we find next? We find the permission to make a respectful appeal. Verse number 10 says this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Here's another question for us. I've been asking it of myself. Do I appeal to God's heart or do I make childish demands? I mean, let's, let's differentiate between the two. An appeal is a respectful request that's highly mindful of the authority of the one who's receiving the appeal. Let me illustrate the difference, okay? Okay? If you're a parent, maybe you've experienced something like this. But let, let, I'll just lay it out for you. So your child walks into your home office screams, fix it, while they throw a broken toy at your head. How would you respond? I think you'd be thinking, Johnny needs Jesus. Like, (laughs) I really, really do. But what if, on the other hand, they showed up in tears in your office and they handed you their toy with a simple request? Mommy or Daddy, could could you help me? Could you fix this? For me, how could you not be moved by that request? That's an earnest appeal. It's a true request. One appeal is based on a loving relationship. The other is a disrespectful demand. One more time, which one would you respond to? You know, I found myself praying this week, appealing to heaven. Because I found that appealing to anything else just doesn't really help. But I found myself praying this week and sketching these words out in my journal. Jesus, you are God and I am not. And I've got no control over when doors open or close, but you know best. God, help me to know what to do with all of these closed doors. God, show me where new doors are opening. Jesus, I know I know you are greater than any virus and that you alone can heal. So I appeal to you. I appeal to you for your healing power and I ask reverently that you would help me make the most of this opportunity in this season of slowdown and pause because God, I don't want to miss out on any opportunity. I don't want to miss out on you in the chaos of this moment. Amen. Let's continue with Asaph. Next we find a moment of permission to reflect with respect and purpose. I mean, just take a moment of reflection as I read these words of scripture for you and over you. Just just allow yourself to soak in them for just a second. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Wow. That's power. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been sharing miracle stories from our own church. 
We've done our best to put the power of God on display as real people from your faith family have told us in story after story how God showed up, how God intervened, how God helped, how God provided, how God moved inside of them in the process, how God shared their pain, and how God moved heaven and earth on their behalf. The reason we did that is so we could look back and celebrate on how God moved towards people who need a miracle. Asaph is laying out biblical history here. He's he's reminding people this is how God moved towards people who needed a miracle. And if you listen to the words, you, you can hear the stories popping up. Noah and the ark, the exodus from Egypt by the people of God. Elijah cowering in the face of God's power that was released in a wind and an earthquake and was followed by what? A still, small, quiet voice. Well, today we're going to look back at another moment of history from our church family. And we're going to celebrate the faithfulness of God in the miracle story of Brian and Katie Steele. Brian's one of our pastors here at Christ the King Church. Katie is one of our precious friends and sisters. Katie is just a bucket of joy. That's the best way I can describe her. And God moved towards her in an incredible, incredible miracle story. Let's watch it together right now. My name's Katie Steele. And I'm Brian Steele. We've been married for six years. It was the summer of 2016. We were in Lake Tahoe hiking. We love to hike. And we were about three quarters of a mile into the hike when I started to feel really dizzy. I just remember leaning forward, putting my hand on a tree and saying out loud to my brother-in-law, I'm feeling dizzy. And then I was down. I woke up and I see people looking down at me. Brian's there now and he's helping me get to my feet. I'm disoriented. And then I see firemen coming up the trail and I'm thinking to myself, like, what what just happened? And, oh, I must be pregnant. Well, she had a seizure, <laughs> uh, and, and she was out for two minutes. But when we got to the emergency room, we got the, we got the worst news possible. They said, Katie, there's a 1% chance that you, know, you would have anything going on in your brain, but since you aren't pregnant, let's just take a scan of your brain. And the doctor came back with a very different countenance, and he said, you're that 1%. And we just found out that I had a brain tumor. A walnut-sized tumor was wrapped around her pituitary gland and her, uh, and her optical nerve. It was like the whole world just turned upside down. The carpet is pulled out from underneath us. By God's grace, we got into the top neurosurgeon, arguably in the world, for the kind of tumor that I had. It was going to be a nine-and-a-half-hour-long surgery. The last thing I remember before she got wheeled into the surgery center was taking her wedding ring and holding it And so I had her wedding ring next to mine and just didn't know what was gonna happen. Well, praise the Lord, I woke up. (laughs) The surgery was a total success. They got the whole tumor and we were now facing recovery time. I went from not being able to really move to walking. And then we thought, wow, 
why don't we start training for this run that we really enjoy doing called the Ragnar, which is a 200 mile race from the Peace Portal Arch to um, South Langley. We started to train. I went from being able to walk around that floor at the hospital to gaining strength to walk from my bed to downstairs to around the neighborhood and then eventually to running and then running miles. So it's, it's race day and we've got a great team and we start running and um, it was difficult and it was fun. And uh, we were done with our portion and one of our dear friends, he knows that I love eagles. Eagles remind me of Jesus's love for me personally. So the opportunity after this meeting this milestone and then to see eagles was such a gift. And so we had that opportunity. So we went down not knowing that we were walking into a neighbor dispute. We were just randomly there and this guy who'd had the long running neighbor dispute just flipped his lid and started shooting a pellet gun into the crowd of us on the team. And all of a sudden I hear Katie screaming, ow, 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 and I just like, I lost it. I was like, you shot my wife and she had brain surgery and you shot her and it was terrible. We went to the emergency room. Uh, the doctor checked her out and it seemed like everything was okay. And yeah, you're gonna be sore for a little while. And we thought that was it, but months later, Katie's head still hurts and is not getting better. And so we just happened to have a schedule for a, a normal checkup following the brain surgery. And like 30 seconds into the, to the MRI, they stopped and said, something is wrong. They pulled me out so fast and it felt like a balloon was rubbing against my head and the static electricity. They pulled me out and Oh, what's you've got an artifact you've got metal in your head what happened and we had to go through another series of imaging to find that wow the pellet's still in my head the only way to get it out was to surgically remove it and then at the time when they were in my head they would decide if they should take the plate out because the pellet was burrowed in one of four plates that was fusing my skull back together this is the plate that we believe saved Katie's life. It's about the size of a nickel. And, uh, and the pellet hit right in the middle of it, dented the plate, and it saved her life. If it was over uh, a quarter of an inch more, it, it very easily could have hit this soft spot and gone into her brain. It could have been a very different situation. You know, something for myself that really impacted me was our community. We were so, we had meals, we had words of encouragement, so many people were praying for us and we did not feel alone and that is I think a miracle how the Lord desires us to be one, right? As the Father and Son are one so the world will know that Jesus was sent and we got to experience that miracle of oneness in a way that is very rare and I ache for that. When we think about what was miraculous about the story, Part of it was miraculous that she survived a brain tumor. And part of it was miraculous that she survived and that this teeny little plate ended up saving her life. It's not like, oh, she got a brain tumor, she got shot, now everything's better. Oh, is that Because everything isn't better. No. Uh, but he is still, good. But the Lord is good. I think that's, that's some of the miracle of the story, is that we find that he's good, even though everything isn't better. It's good. Right. I love that story. I love that story uh, because I love the people. 
that are in that story. I mean, just think about it for a second. God used a plate from a previous brain surgery to save Katie's life. I mean, talk about a God who's into the details. I remember showing up in Seattle for Katie's very first brain surgery and, and walked into the waiting room. There's a small army of people there surrounding Katie and Brian. It's the miracle of community. It's why, that's why we're still launching small groups in the midst of this time of distancing because the miracle of community coming together, you don't know when you need it until you need it. And God walked through some deep water with Katie and Brian holding them and walked them right through to the miracle on the other side. Look, look what comes next in scripture. It's permission to acknowledge God's presence. Verse 19 says, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Do you see what's happening here? The people of Israel are following God and they can't even see his footprints, which leads you to a normal question. Where in the world is God in all of this? But the key was they just kept on moving. Even when they could not see his footprints. They kept moving. I mentioned earlier in the series that faith has footsteps. And God called Brian and Katie to just keep taking footsteps of faith. That's just like all of us in a lifetime that's made up of moments. Our journey, our faith journey is made up of small obedient steps that follow God no matter what. Now if this rings a bell for you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you recognize very quickly. Asaph is sharing a moment in history that every good Hebrew kid would know. If you don't know the story, let me catch you up really quick. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. God selects Moses to lead his people to freedom. Moses goes to Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and utters the famous words, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and so God begins to unleash plagues. A plague of blood, a plague of frogs. Can you imagine frogs absolutely everywhere? A plague of gnats, these little biting insects that descend on the entire nation of Egypt. The plague of flies, the death of livestock. A plague of boils where people have infectious sores breaking out all over their bodies. The plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness. And finally, the most heartbreaking plague of them all, the death of every firstborn son. Except for families who were sheltering in place inside of a home who had taken a sacrificial lamb and used the blood of that innocent lamb to paint a sign over the doorposts and the door entryways of their home so that when the angel of death came, he would pass over their home and spare and give mercy to the family that was sheltering in place under the covering of the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Finally, that prompts Pharaoh to let God's people go. And they leave. And Moses leads them out of Egypt and Pharaoh changes his mind and he begins to chase the people of Israel and they end up in a crisis backed up against the Red Sea, an actual body of water. They've got water in front of them, nowhere to go to either side and Pharaoh's army coming from behind, scaring them to death. And, and if I was Moses in that moment, I would have freaked out completely. I would have cried and groaned and asked the question, where is God in the midst of all of this? You brought us this far. I can't remember anything that you did back there. God help me. What does Moses do? He steps in the water. Not going that direction. 
I'm not going back to slavery. He steps into the water and a miracle happens. The Red Sea parts, the water stacks up on both sides and the people of Israel move out in faith. Moses is walking. God is leading them with no footsteps in the sand and he leads them all the way through the crisis to the miracle waiting for them on the other side. Here's a question. Where's God asking you to, to plant your foot in faith today? Where is God asking you to, to step out on that next journey towards your miracle? One last permission. It's the permission to know God's heart. Now, can I tell you how God's heart is positioned towards you even when you're having an epic meltdown? It's always positioned towards love. He loves you. That's why God describes himself in scripture as a gentle shepherd. You know, being called sheep is not exactly a compliment in scripture. Because here's what I know. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> They're dumb. They bite. They get lost easily. But for whatever reason, the love of Jesus compels him to be a good shepherd, even when his sheep are lost in difficult questions and getting easily lost in the moments of everyday life. Psalm 77 wraps up with these words. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God walked them through their crisis. He walked Brian and Katie through their crisis. He walked all of the other stories that we've shown to you. He walked them through their crisis, and he will do the same for you. My question is, can you find permission in your own heart to have a moment with God, even if it looks more like a meltdown than a meeting? <laughs> Can you move towards him instead of stepping away? I began the message by telling you a bunch of things that I know because of stories that you've shared with me. Can I wrap up this time by sharing something that I know because of the story that God's been writing on my own heart? I would wrap up with this. In the face of real crisis and concern, the heart of a miracle working God is always to respond exactly the same way. Permission granted. Friends, uh, you have permission to have a moment. Just don't get stuck there. You have permission to ask hard questions and speak freely because God loves you enough to have that conversation. You have permission to make a respectful appeal to say, God, would you please teach me in these times what you want me to learn? You have permission to reflect with respect and purpose, to look back on the track record of God and to use that as a deep encouragement as we continue to move forward. You have permission to acknowledge God's presence right now in your living room, your bedroom, wherever you happen to be on your back deck. You have permission to say, God, I know that you are here. Talk to me. I'm listening. And then you have permission to know God's heart. So as we get ready to wrap up today, uh, let me make this very, very personal. So this morning at about 8 a.m., uh, my phone rang, and a very, very precious lady from our church, her name is Linda, was on the phone and 
asked me to pray with her husband, Bob. Bob and Linda have been involved so deeply in our outreaches to Africa. They have led so many teams. I've lost count. They are people that that love to work in the background. They don't like anybody's attention. They, They are wonderful, wonderful givers. They struggle with receiving because they just have a love language of giving. And Bob has been battling cancer. I mean, he has fought with everything he has. And he's beat it multiple times. But this morning, Bob and Jesus took a walk. And they ended up a little bit closer to Jesus' home than Bob's. And so they just kept walking together. And I had the privilege of praying over my friend and my brother. And then I jumped in my car and I headed to their house. Got to spend a few moments with the family. But can I be honest with you? On my drive in, I needed permission to have a moment. I needed permission to ask some hard questions. And to make some respectful appeals, at least that's how I tried to keep it. I needed permission to look back on some of those beautiful moments when Bob and I were walking across the African plain together, marveling at the fact that we were in Africa. I needed permission to ask Jesus to come and sit in my little Hyundai Tucson (laughs) and to just be with me and not give me any bumper sticker answers, but just to let me grieve and ask a very respectful, God, I don't understand why. I needed permission to know God's heart And what I know is this. Bob loved God and God loved Bob. And today, even though I don't get it and I want to appeal the decision, (laughs) Bob is more whole today than he has ever been before. More whole than I am right now. Because God didn't take him. He received him. So I don't know what you're battling, but I know that's, that's a tough part of life. And my prayer is that this week, we'll all sit down with Psalm 77 and, and give ourselves permission to have a moment. God loves us so much, he would welcome that opportunity. Because he's a loving good shepherd who loves his sheep and wants to move closer even when we feel like our whole world is falling apart. So church, I'd love to pray for us today as we wrap this time up. One more reminder, next weekend, uh, Laurel and I will be here to talk to all of us who are still waiting for our miracle. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you are good, even when it's all not okay.
God, thank you for this reminder of all of the history of your faithfulness with the people of Israel. Thank you for a reminder today of the beautiful history of Brian and Katie. Thank you for their courage in sharing their story. God, thank you for being the God of details. God, thank you that you have space for us when we have hard questions. Thank you for having love for us when we're in the middle of a meltdown. And God, may Psalm 77 resonate deeply in all of our hearts this coming week. God, I pray for Linda and her family right now. God, give them the grace to open their hands and give back to you the precious heart of their husband, their dad, who has been so faithful in his friendship with so many of us. God, thank you that Bob loved you and you loved Bob. God, help us be a family right now. Help us stay close together, even though we are distanced. God, unite our hearts together. Lord, out of all of this, would you create more community? Lord, thank you for your beautiful divine permissions for us to be human. We declare again today that our faith is in you. We trust you. We love you. And we appeal to you for miracles that only you can provide. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, church. We say it every week. We love you. We miss you. We're praying for you. And we hope one day soon we'll be able to gather back together. But may we never lose the lessons that we're learning in these moments. God bless you guys. We'll see you here again, God willing, in about six days. God bless you. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.